Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. In the studio with me tonight are Keely Hafner and Laura Toller. Both have exhibitions opening on Friday. Keely's at AKA and Laura's at PAVE. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thanks. So Keely, um, you and I know each other and we'll maybe start with you. Uh, sure. So you're down at in Chicago working on your master's currently? That is correct. I'm in the Fiber and Material Studies program at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And you've been there, this is your second year? This is my second of two years. Oh, so that's coming to an end. The final semester, pressure's on. And yet you're here. I am here, yeah. We have a decently long break in between semesters, um, and it sort of worked out to book the exhibition in question for the time period of January where we're sort of having that break and get a better chance to install all of the work. So worked out really well. That's great. Uh, so the exhibition you're organizing is called A Specific Amalgam of Spirit and Dirt. And in addition to yourself, it features Ben Reeves, Sean Weisgerber, and Amber Wellman. Correct? That's yeah. correct, yeah. So can you tell us a bit about this exhibition and sort of how, because you're the curator for the exhibition? Or? I am, I guess I would consider myself an artist as curator, also co-curating with the artists themselves. So when I got the idea for the exhibition, I contacted the artists in question and we started to work together on the concept. Initially, the show was called Remade. And actually, there's been at least two exhibitions in the time frame, the sort of like artist-run center circuit that have been called that title. And also the concept for the work work changed over time so we moved away from the initial conception which was sort of about the idea of remaking painting in general and what that means in a contemporary context and more toward what our specific practices we're doing at this moment in time. So a specific amalgam of spirit and dirt is a quotation that has been taken from Chris Down's blog. Uh, he wrote the essay for the exhibition and the blog that he um, writes quite frequently and I've always been a huge fan of it's called The Impossibility of Painting is Merely a Feeling. And Chris Down was one of my professors at Mount Allison University and my undergraduate. And so I've kind of kept in keeping with that. And he speaks really poetically and sort of in a down-to-earth fashion about painting in general. So I've, when I found that statement, a specific amalgam of spirit and dirt, it seemed to describe and link all of the works, which were actually really becoming more and more different all the time through this notion of, of paint, like literally pushing mud and what it means in the 21st century. So that was kind of the premise and where we took it from here to change the, the notion. It's interesting because I know when I know your work, it does build out a painting. But when I've seen snapshots of what you're working on at, in Chicago, often it's very separated from that. There's totally like 3D printing and there's... So how does that for yourself then tie back to sort of that painting sensibility? Well, it's really funny because actually I'm the biggest oddball in the show, I would say, in terms of thinking about painting media specifically. I would call Ambra... Um, maybe a painter's painter. Um, she's very Baroque in her sensibilities and incredibly talented in her work. She's also in her master's at Guelph and it's been changing hard and fast and she sort of looks to the old masters and contemporizes that in a really fascinating way. And Ben, of course, is, is a well-established Canadian painter and did a lot in sort of from the 1990s and into the 21st century to, to change how we think about painting now and especially in reference to interrupting the image plane and making us really f aware of painting as a as a medium and as um, sort of stuff I would say like his 
painting are his paintings are really viscous and thick and drippy and interrupt the pin- picture plane. And then Sean is really process driven, but also still a painter. Um, so a lot of his work involves um, dripping and pouring and sort of these ongoing processes of rejigging that change, but are really about like what it is to make studio work. And then for me, when I come to painting, it's through a concept. So I would maybe, if I was to call myself a painter at all, say I'm a conceptual painter. So I don't work medium specifically at all. In fact, if I was to delineate what I am, I would say I'm more of a sculptor. But uh, I tend to look for the medium that feels the most poignant to the concept at hand. So at the time that we put together this exhibition, I was doing a lot more painting, and now I've sort of moved away from that, although I do have a work in the show from 2015. So it's it's interesting. It's really evolved over time and through my degree. And then for yourself too, how is the, what has the process been like putting this show together then? Because did the artists come together first? Like did you organize the artists first and then sort of build the show around those? Yes. uh, Yes and no. It's kind of a combination of the two. So I was thinking about painters who were not lamenting painting's so-called death, but instead thinking about what painting is now. And so Ben Reeves, I had had a studio visit with him in my undergrad, and I was just really impressed with his generosity and the way that he theorized painting and was sort of working through it in the studio. So he was sort of my long shot. He was kind of my ringer for the show because he was so generous. He's so well-established, so it was nice to have him with us younger emerging artists. And then Amber, I knew well, we got the BMO First Art Prize together in 2011, um, both upon graduating from our undergraduate. She represented Nova Scotia and I represented New Brunswick. So we met each other through that. And I always was really impressed by her work. So I garnered her in through the same topic. And then Sean, I met when I moved to Saskatoon and I saw what he was up to in the studio and it seemed to also fit with a lot of the ideas for the show. So once I invited them, that it was kind of a combination of both the, the theme and the artist. And then what has become since then has been very much a, an evolution away from the original theme. And so Chris's term, an uneasy alloy, seems to be a really great way to describe how eclectic a lot of the work in the show is, visually and conceptually. So then Chris's essay has been sort of a guiding force for the exhibition, but he hasn't been involved directly. It's been exactly. more you building off of that. And exactly. Then... Yeah, although tonight I will be uh, installing a sort of version of his essay on the wall, which will be hand-painted. So it's sort of this, as he describes it, perverse gesture that echoes a lot of what's being written about in his essay. But I, I just felt like it was really important to have someone externally reframe the show in such a way that we were looking at all the things that were happening at the same time throughout the really different works. And Chris just seemed like such a great candidate, especially once we found the title. So it sort of poetically links everything. And I I think of it as sort of a foregrounding of all of the work. So it was great. Well, I could ask you more questions about the exhibition, but maybe Laura will bring you in at this point, if it's all right, and chat a bit about the exhibition you'll be having at PAVED. So your exhibition is called Sebastian and the Boxer, and this is a video video installation, if I'm correct? It is. You are correct. All right. Would you be able to describe just a bit about the work and the, the background oh, of the right. work? Yeah. Um, let's see. So there's two works, Sebastian and the Boxer. Awesome. <laughs> Hence the name of the exhibition. Um, Sebastian is a new work. Um, I made it, finished it last year in 2015. It's been in process for a couple of years. And um, The Boxer is an older work. It was actually shot in 1997. 
and um, installed in 2009 in the version you will see at PAVED starting on Friday night. So Sebastian is a single large projection of a man who approaches this space and swings whips and whirs a variety of branches around. I'd like to think of him as almost like a, a cosmic cleaner who's sort of figuring out how to cleanse the space. And I, and I don't think that was originally the intention of the performer. So the performer is Charles Quevillon, and he's actually a musician composer who performs live often in dance works. Um, this action that he's doing is um, an excerpt from one of the dance works that he was part of. So I saw the action. I was really compelled by it. I was compelled by the whole piece, but his particular action was really compelling. And he was doing it in order to produce sound. That was sort of the main purpose of this, uh, this swinging and whipping of a variety of branches. Um, and the sound that's produced is really mesmerizing and hypnotic and strange and wonderful. And it's, it's got a lot of different edges. You can't quite figure out what's going on. And at the same time, it doesn't really matter. So when he does this action, it reminds me of like those um, incense burners in churches, I think they're called thuribles, or, or even um, First Nations smudging ceremonies, or sometimes, um, I don't know if you've ever been to a Russian sauna and been whipped by branches. Anyways, if you haven't, you should try it, it's great. These are all these kinds of ceremonial things that people do with branches that, and with, with well, with smoke in, in the... Um, in the case of the thurible, that are kind of a kind of purifying cleansing ceremony. And, and it's, not, it's unclear what's being cleansed, but there is a, uh, this kind of divide between this barn landscape, which the audience us is inside, according to the way the work is shot. And Charles is standing, Charles is the performer, but he is actually named Sebastian in the piece. He is standing at the threshold of this barn structure right in front of this incredibly bucolic landscape in front of him which as the audience you just well I do anyways I don't know about the rest of you guys but I just want to enter that space and I don't know if he's preparing it for me to enter or if he's keeping me from it hmm. so I still have a lot of questions around the work but I just I, lo I love watching him swing those branches around so then is this building up from some of your background then in dance and choreography? Absolutely, of course. Okay. Um, so yes. Was this directed then in terms of his actions? Like, were you directing what he was doing or was it more of a recording of his? I was, I always direct okay. um, somehow or other. I mean, I work really hard to maintain the essence of what the performer has done for their, because it's their work in essence. And then I'm, I'm, adapting it to a new format and creating something new of it. So we were work, I was working with some direction, I was asking him to do certain things, but within the scope of what he was already doing. Same with Bill Coleman, who is the boxer, and he had created this larger dance work called Heartland in the early 90s, and I saw it in the early 90s in, in Toronto, I saw it in Ottawa, I saw it, and I just, I, again, like something I was really mesmerized by, and I went backstage the first time I saw it, and I said, Bill, I really want to make a film out of this piece. I had just finished my first film, which I finished in, which I made in 1995, and I had been interested in finding 
something else to work on and I just saw this this performer on stage and was really captured by what he was doing and so I had, I had made a longer documentary called Heartland about Bill and about this work and um, the boxer is a, a section from that which I have rejigged for an installation space. So then going back to Sebastian, in terms of the naming then, is, you were talking about a lot of the ceremony. Is the naming then a religious naming or is it? Well, it isn't and it is, of course. <laughs> I mean, when I first saw Charles perform these actions, I kept thinking about St. Sebastian. I mean, he's naked from the waist up, I means wearing pants, and, um, and he's wearing some other things on his body. But he, and the, there's something about the branches and some of the, poses he takes that just made me think of St. Sebastian. I mean, I have a, you know, very broad art education that includes a lot of time at um, looking at paintings. And I've seen a lot of St. Sebastian paintings. And I mean, you know, those images are kind of ingrained in our minds. And I just thought Sebastian when I first saw him. Mm. It's interesting because when I was watching The Boxer with somebody recently, and we were talking about the Sebastian, St. Sebastian reference, um, there is a shot in the boxer where every time I look at it, I go, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like there's something very saintly about one um, shot in the boxer. And so there is there is a an essay I've read, an academic essay about this by this wonderful writer named Jill Bennett. And she talks about affect and she talks about St. Francis and how these, these paintings that were made, you know, in the Middle Ages, where you were looking at the details of these saints and and the details of the saints were not there to kind of tell you a story although that's what most people talk about she says they were there so that you could feel what the saints felt and it was this affective relationship with these figures that that's what the painting was trying to do and i think that relates to my work in terms of these men maybe appearing somewhat saintly. Well, and so that there's somewhat of a reaction even before thought. There's more of a bodily reaction by the audience and to the poses, to the actions. Absolutely. Well, and then part of the work too is about questioning of linear progress or sort of an unsettling of that. Is that sort of coming between the works? Are they working together to do that? Like, is that in dialogue between the two videos or is it? I think the last few years I've been thinking a lot around ideas like oh, but what it means to move forward. Like, what does it mean to move forward? What does it mean to progress? And one of the ways that's sort of entered my artwork is um, through repetition, really repetition of gesture, repetition of footage, um, things that work in cycles. And I, you know, I'm sort of, I don't want to be motivated by a kind of like forward moving linear repetition, um, sorry, linear progress that kind of looks at like some peak that one wants to reach. I really like this idea that you, that we move in, in cycles and you know, you move forward and you come back at something and you move a little bit forward and you come back at something and that through repetition, you can progress and move forward, but it's a kind of a slower, a more aware consideration of what you're doing and so both works are on a loop both works are about like a repeating gesture and I that's sort of an important part of what I'm thinking about right now through in my own life in my own practice in my practice and um, in some of the physical things that I'm doing yeah 
Interesting. I just want to read a short quote from the exhibition statement provided by Paved, because I think it relates to that. And it was about how your work confuses the separation between ending and beginning, while suggesting that temporal variations paired with repetitive gestures can create openings for transformation. And I, I thought it was interesting if you might be able to talk about what those sort of transformations might be. or what that I can give you an example. I mean, one of the things that I've been doing lately since about a year and a half ago is I've been doing a lot of Tai Chi. Okay. And that's something that, that was something that I was doing for a new, my new project, which is not on the books yet, but something I've been working on. And I've been interested in Tai Chi my whole life, but never quite stuck to it. And last year, I spent the year in Berlin, and I found this incredible Tai Chi teacher and really, really progressed with him. I'm still like super baby. I've only been doing it for a year and a half, but it's, it's really kind of allowed me to think about what I've been wanting to think about in a physical way, like through my body. And Tai Chi is like you're doing the same movements over and over and over again, the same sequence. But as you're doing that sequence, if you're doing it in a really conscientious way, like some the smallest thing can shift and change. And all of a sudden, like your whole world changes. It's like tiny, it's tiny, but it just, it like opens your brain and it opens your body into all these, it's so hairy fairy to talk about it. It's so difficult to discuss, but it is so actually profound and really um, real. And I think it's not just Tai Chi. I mean, some people do yoga, some people do, some people do it through boxing, like, but the idea is that you're doing a physical activity and that you're repeating it and that through that repetition, you are able to, if you have a good teacher or if you're, you know, you're able to shift something in your body. And I wouldn't say improve because it's not about like getting better. It's just about doing it differently. And that changes your idea about what, how you can move forward. So again, away from that sort of linear progress of I'm trying to get to a goal rather than self-reflective or. Yeah. And it just, rep- I mean, you know, it's like, what do we do every day? Right? Like, we're, everything we do every day is so repetitive, and but it, it it's okay. It's good. It's good. And if you do it with like if you do things with awareness and with a kind of um, you know openness and joy, like all those mundane things that we have to do every day to survive to help each other, they can be really nice things. When you're talking about this idea of linear progress, and Keely, I might bring you back into this a bit too. To me, that intersects with it dialogue of sustainability in terms of the way that we in Western culture will often look at like linear progress and economics of always trying to produce more and more. And Keely, I know your works often intersect with the idea of sustainability. I was wondering if you both might be able to talk a bit toward that, if there, that is sort of an aspect or, or to what extent those sort of dialogues around progress or sustainability impact your work. I think when I when I look at the boxer and I look at what he's doing, I sometimes think that he's kind of doing this ritual gesture to purify like something we've really messed up, um, and that you know we have to do that too to a certain extent. And I mean, for me, the boxer is very much about like performing failure, performing like having a space where the boxer can perform failure without judgment. So when you talk about sustainability, like it, what we do is not sustainable. I mean, the idea of like that we have to succeed, that we have to make more, that we have to be better. It's like 
yes, we do have to be better, but not necessarily, but we just have to be better people to ourselves, you know, whatever that means. And, and to, you know, our planet and to each other and all that. But it really, like, I think my work is sort of, I am thinking about these ideas of like, you know, what, what do I really want to be doing in the next 20 years? And how do I really want to be living and relating to the people around me? And I think that's sort of entering the work in some ways. Interesting. Well, and I guess when it comes to my practice as an emerging artist, notions of what it is I do are constantly changing, but the overarching theme that has connected even my painting, my my older painting to what I'm doing now, which as you said, has a lot to do with um, sort of newer technologies and transforming materials, particularly waste materials in my case. Um, I look at value judgments and value hierarchies and that has sort of led me through it all. And so back with the work with the show, for example, one of the older pieces, um, older uh, within reason, is from 2013, and it's a black velvet monochrome. I did it right prior to my degree. And so I was thinking about painting and, I guess, how painting histories overlap with um, craft and artisanal histories. So I was thinking about my grandmother painting stones versus the works that I um, have looked to in my adulthood in contemporary art galleries, like Ad Reinhardt's Black Velvet, or sorry, Black Monochromes, which are sort of a nine by nine grid of just black. And they're made from pure pigment colors, but they're so rich and he's such an ardent, human and he was actually a satirist and I was so fascinated by his biography although he's really problematic and so is modernism so trying to think of how all those things can coalesce into one weird moment I was thinking about that through value so to make sort of a monochrome out of black velvet is sort of this gesture that asks you to think about both sort of the mid 20th century's moment in so-called pinnacle of Western art, and but also um, craft making that is akin to the stuff that I grew up with. But uh, in, I guess, more of a, a recent sense of my practice, I'm thinking about value in terms of like literal stuff, like material goods, and how things are produced and the systems that create those things. And I'm really interested in the concept of uh, what I would say is the philosophy of garbage, that garbage isn't so much a thing in itself that it points to everything that it isn't and nothing that it is. So that has led me to look at the materials around me and wonder what what might be true waste and how could that how could we have a value transformation with that material that makes us look back at that thing and it might be become it might become uncanny or it might become um, revalued in a different way. So sustainability has always been like a weird topic for me because as uh, Laura said, it, the world isn't sustainable as such. Our economic and capitalistic systems are not sustainable as such. And so uh, I think artists' job is, is less to less to propose answers and provide solutions and more to propose questions. So I'm looking for materials that can help us to question the things around us through their transformation. So in that way, I'm, I'm very fascinated by those concepts. Well, and when you're talking about those materials, a couple of your 3D printed works have been actually using recycled materials to make the 
the medium for the 3D yeah, printing, right? Yeah, and like, to get down and dirty with how this stuff is made, because I actually really am a studio artist. Like, I love working with just matter in my hands. Um, so the 3D printed works, I'm using what's called um, fused deposition modeling. So that's just a nerdy word for, like, the hot glue gun type 3D printer that builds up layer by layer. And so the hot glue gun gets fed in with a plastic string. So if you can extrude your own plastic string, you can make your own 3D printing filament, which is exactly what I do. So I take waste materials from cafeterias. I'm particularly interested in this compostable plastic called PLA, which stands for polylactic acid. It's just basically a polymer, which is a plastic, but it's made from corn materials. And so I take those and it's it's very dirty and gritty. I wash out all the junk and I dry them and I shred them and I put them through my extruder and, and then I 3D print with them. And, and I've been printing a lot of naturalistic forms and sort of thinking of um, these larger, fancier theoretical ideas like object-oriented ontology, which is essentially a way of saying like, how do things live? Do they live? Do what are the, what are materials to us? What is their existence? Um, and vice versa. So, so I've been thinking about that. And then another project I have going, which actually was going at the time that I made my black velvet monochrome work. So it's been an ongoing series of work. Is where I rock tumble. So it's lapidary equipment. It's just for making jewelry. And I take waste ceramic and I just throw it in my tumbler and make them into these weird, smooth archaeological forms where they kind of lose the essence of what they were and become this new, new thing. Like waste ceramic from everything from toilets to Yeah, other... it began with toilets, actually. At first, it was only going to be toilets. It's, it was called pot shirts, and I was thinking a lot about artists like Robert Morris and a lot of those earth artists that were coming out of the 70s. But it kind of evolved from that, and I started to embrace more of the everyday materials in my life. So if I broke a plate or a cup, I'd include that. And now I've moved on to include a bit of concrete, some rubble from the places I've been. I ended up acquiring a bit of a church that theatrical Gates um, deconstructed and took the pieces from it was being taken down in South Chicago where I live and very problematic classic sort of negligence and racially driven negligence on the part of um, people in Chicago to take down these really beautiful architectures that could be maintained so this gorgeous church was destroyed and Theaster Gates collected all the materials and I was able to acquire some of those and it's this beautiful limestone but of course I then tumble it and it's juxtaposed against the toilet and anything else so it's all uniform and there's no hierarchy at all it sort of becomes one amalgam <laughs> a mass yeah I don't mean to bring too many parallels between your works because I know they're sitting in separate exhibitions, but I appreciate the way that they both are sort of asking larger questions, sometimes even amongst, you know, other themes and asking us to question the ways that we are in the world or the ways that we approach these things. So yes, tonight we'll start, Laura, with an artist talk that you'll be giving at 7 p.m. in PAVE's event space. And then 8 p.m. is the opening for both your exhibitions. So an opportunity to come out, see a number of different works and talk to you both that night. You'll both be in attendance, obviously. And, and thank you guys both for coming to, obviously, Saskatoon and then coming on the show here to talk about your works. Pleasure. Ours. Yes, it's our pleasure. <laughs> Together. <laughs> You've been listening to Unframed on 90.5 CFCR FM in Saskatoon and streaming around the world at cfcr.ca. One more reminder, you can also find us uh, at unframedradio.com or you can listen to this as a podcast on iTunes. Wait, there's one more thing we forgot Uh-oh. is that our lovely interviewer has also has an opening on Friday night at 7. And so the thing to do is to come to the artist talk at 7 o'clock at Paved, then go to Void, 
which Michael is opening on Friday at 7, and then come back to Paved and AKA for the party where you can hang out with us and have a drink and talk to us, and we'd love to see you there. A little bit of an art crawl here in Saskatoon that you can participate in. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Uh, Yes, again, I'm Michael Peterson. You've been listening to CFCR 90.5 FM. Thank you, and have a good night.